Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silver, and today's guest is Jason Lienartz. Jason is the owner of Revolution Fitness and Therapy in Stowe, Ohio, host of the Revolutionary You podcast, and the author of A Revolution a Day and The Revolution is You. You're about to hear a story of trauma and transformation. My next guest, Jason Lienartz, went down a very dark path after a painful experience, which left him feeling unworthy. You'll see how easy it is to allow those dark experiences to pull us under, and unfortunately, all it can lead to when it does. You're also going to see what happens when you take back your life by making some very different decisions. If you know anyone who's been a victim of sexual abuse, who is struggling with a drug or alcohol addiction, or who's been prescribed many drugs, you're going to love this episode. Here's Jason. Okay, everybody, we have my friend Jason Lienartz here, and I brought him in specifically because I was actually on his amazing podcast. But we, as we got to talking, he had such a compelling story of betrayal to breakthrough that I, I just knew he'd be a, a wonderful guest for the show. So welcome, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to a, a conversation that hopefully is um, uh, enlightening for your yeah. audience. So thank you. I, I have a feeling it will be. So let's just get started with the story. You know, when when you go down that road of of trauma and eventually to transformation, we usually don't have that trauma for no reason. It's 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 due to something. So what was the case for you? Sure. So, you know, as I'm sure you can appreciate, and it's it's one thing that no parent ever wants to go through, but you and I are both uh, parents to, to beautiful children. And and so when I was uh, a child, uh, my parents had entrusted the care of me to a babysitter. And without going into a lot of very descriptive detail, the same babysitter uh, sexually abused me. Uh, I was in, if you want to call it the the fortunate position that it was it was one occasion and one occasion alone, um, but the damage was done and it was one of those things where, um, you know, if you're ever looking for one of those positions and places in life where you did the right thing and you still got punished, um, this was one of those occasions for me. And uh, at the time, being somewhere around five or six years of age, uh, you, you know, those those particular details slightly blurry at this point. Um, I I know that. At the time, what what was being asked of me was not something that I felt right doing, and uh, so I did the right thing in that in that particular case, and had to pay something of a price for it, and and that's really unfortunate uh, because for the next probably uh, ten to twelve years of my life, I just sort of blacked it out and acted like it didn't happen, and I was having a conversation in my late teens with a, a woman who I happened to be. Uh, sort of crushing on at the time, and she was sort of giving an account of a molestation that she had gone through with a family member. And the way in which she was discussing it sort of brought back all of these memories for me. And so here I was finishing up high school, about to go into college, was going to be, you know, independent, like all college kids very much wish to be when they finally want to get out of their parents' home. And, uh, and it just started to start, you know, really this sort of domino effect of just bad things that happened. And you don't really know how to stop that downward spiral of, well, I, I don't have a lot of self-worth and I don't really like how things are happening in my life. And I don't really know how to cope with these things. And for me, where that led to was uh, initially uh, a lot of medications, a lot of hospitalizations for suicide attempts and uh, suicidal ideation. And, uh, and ultimately found a doctor who was able to get me off of those medications, um, but not before I started 
a 10-year uh, drug addiction. Um, so I'm going to fast forward slightly because there's a lot to delve into here, but here we are. I've been clean now for uh, 14 years. I own a personal training facility in Northeast Ohio. Um, the goal, the mission of the facility is lifestyle change. It's to help my clients turn things around for themselves because here I am having survived the sexual abuse and survived the hospitalizations and survived, uh, uh, you know, fate at my own hands. And um, and things were able to turn around. That's the breakthrough that we talk about. So um, maybe I'll table it there um, and, and let you kind of dive into whatever parts you think your listeners might uh, want to know more about. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's just so amazing how, the road we take to get to that, that transformation. And here you are clearly at the other side. But what I, what I would love to do is, is unpack some of it because we have people in all different stages of their process, whether they're just sort of fresh out of their betrayal, you know, as an adult, uh, and and so often it's tied to something that happened long ago. You know, we we keep getting opportunities to learn that we are worthy, lovable, deserving all of these things. And until we do, and unless we do, we have these opportunities to learn that. So uh, it seems like you you learn that through this great unravel that happened. Yeah. you know, in, in high school for you. But as, let's go back. When you were this five, six-year-old, what did you make of that? Like you, you mentioned clearly something didn't seem right to you. How did you interpret it though? I mean, what did you, so, you know, tell tell, tell me about that. Yeah, the, no, that's, that's really the perfect question to ask. So, you know, again, I'll, I'll keep reframing this as the parent um, because, you know, it's something that perhaps a lot of your listeners go through. Um, but, you know, I, I've had wonderful parents. Uh, I'm an only child. Um, had two parents that loved me through and through and um, and really gave me everything under the sun that, you know, that life could have possibly offered. Um, I, I don't ever recall, you know, being left wanting for much of anything. And, um, you know, when your parents tell you things like telling the truth is always better than lying. Yeah, on a surface level, that's actually true. But for me, and of course, at the time, I didn't really understand it because, again, I didn't really understand why this particular bad thing happened to me. Uh, but again, if we just sort of keep working with that sort of over, overarching concept, the way that my mind framed it, which was I did good and I got punished. And mm -hmm. so when we flip that around and you get yourself in these situations where uh, let's just talk about something that I think anybody can relate to or most people can relate to is um, what if you get a bad grade in school? Do you tell your parents or do you hide it? Well, for me, I hid it because I didn't want them to know I was getting a bad grade. For whatever reason, I was getting a bad grade. Maybe I didn't like the class, didn't care for the teacher, didn't just didn't want to do it because kids have minds of their own. And so when my parents would, you know, ask me, well, you know, how are you doing in science class? God forbid, I didn't want to tell them I was getting a D, you know, at my midterm. I'm like, oh, it's, it's great. You know, class is great. Um, so then rather than just be upfront and go, you know what, I'm really struggling. Um, maybe I need a tutor or something like that. It was, you lie until you um, hopefully don't get caught. And in my case, more often than not, I got caught. Um, but it still, it was a it was a hard cycle to break. And even now as an adult, you know, things that when we think about right and wrong, right and wrong for someone who's never dealt with trauma is generally a fairly, it's, it's a fairly simple thing to sort out. It's either you do the thing, you don't do the thing, good, bad. It's it's like kind of like good and evil in a, in a movie. You know the difference, you know the villains from the heroes. But when, and again, my interpretation of the truth is, when you've got trauma in your life, all of a sudden you look at things a little bit differently and you're like, well, I know what it was like when I did good in this one case. And what if doing good leads to me being punished again? 
I don't really want to be punished. And so it's just, it's sort of the cyclical problem that you, that you go through. And even now, sometimes, you know, in, in life, it's like, okay, well, how do I deal with that as an adult? Or the term that we hear, uh, you know, for other survivors is the adult child, um, the one who was traumatized as a child who is now an adult by age, but maybe not an adult in all sense of behavior. Um, and that was also a very, a very difficult thing to, you know, have to stomach when I started to hear about that. So, yeah. So, so it sounds like, so you were, you were linking good with being punished. Did yeah. I get that right? Okay. Correct. So, so I guess the, what you, what you take from that is then I won't be good because what does that, what does that give me? Is yeah, that what's, the, what, what's the upside to doing right at this point? Yeah. yeah. So then what did that lead to? Was that the, was that the mindset that had you sort of go down a, that, that next path? You know, um, it, it's it's hard to to kind of put that piece of the puzzle together. You know, by the time I got to college, you know, I'd already had the as my mom very lovingly, uh, um, uh, you know, talks about her. Now I, I already had my girlfriend from hell moment, um, which was the you know I think every mom is like, oh yeah, you know, you you, you tell your son stay away from that one. Well, I didn't stay away from that one, mm-hmm. and uh, and so you know you go through that big traumatic breakup, and of course when you're 18 years old, everything is traumatic and everything is dramatic, and uh, so here I am, I'm in college, I'm kind of going through all these life changes of being away from home, and um, it was like I just kept getting into you know, bad relationships, or I wasn't a good fit for these relationships. I was in a band because for many years, I thought that I was going to conquer the world with a microphone and a guitar. And it, it just sort of felt like bad things keep happening to me. And I thought, well, maybe bad things keep happening to me because I'm a bad person, or because I'm not a worthy person, or because I'm not an attractive person, or whatever story I wanted to tell myself. And so um, it just got to a point where I started to look back at this thing, this thing that happened to me and, and the abuse and everything. And I thought, you know, maybe I'm just not worthy of being in this world. Maybe, maybe things would be better if I didn't exist. And, uh, you know, looking back now, that's a, that's a hard thing to think about that I actually went through those thought processes, but it led to me going to my family doctor at the time and saying, I think I'm depressed. Um, they tried a medication for me. That medication made me worse. And over the next probably uh, seven months, I was on just a series of medications and in and out of different psychiatrist offices. I was hospitalized four separate times in 1996 uh, for either suicide attempts or the threat of suicide. And by the very tail end of that year, I finally got in with a psychiatrist who was like, you do not need to be on medication. You actually just need to talk to somebody. And again, I don't want anybody to, to hear what I'm not saying. Some people legitimately need to be on medication. I just was not one of those people at that point in time in my life. And uh, so he is the doctor that my credit, that my parents credit um, for essentially saving my life. Um, but by that time, the street drugs were starting to become part of the conversation. So I'll, I'll pause there. Yeah, yeah. So again, let's unpack here. So yeah. <laughs> here you were, you know, you, you you go to all of these doctors, assuming, right? We assume they must know and, and you go on these medications, you feel worse. Everybody's kind of telling you, you need this. Mm-hmm. And I, I know so often we start doubting ourselves, really, well, they must know, I don't know. So, okay, sounds good to me. So then how did you respond when here this other therapist says, no, you don't, you don't need that. Yeah. So let me, let me kind of fill in some of the, um, some of the missing gaps here. Mm -hmm. So I went through, I I was between two states. I was 
in Ohio, where my parents were at the time, uh, where I currently reside. And I was also in Tennessee, which is where college was at. And um, so I had doctors up here in Ohio, which was where I was hospitalized initially. And they had given me some initial diagnoses, which if memory serves at the time, um, they had diagnosed me with bipolar disorder um, and borderline personality disorder. And I would have been 20, uh, between 20 and 21 years of age at this time. Um, so that was the initial diagnosis. So I was medicated as such. And there were people along the way that didn't seem to agree with that particular diagnosis. Um, and so you start to kind of get this feedback. Well, then when I left States, when I went from Ohio back to Tennessee, I was put in the hands of a psychiatrist down there who did not look at my medical records to see what dosages and medications I was on and the medication that she then elected to put me on in addition to what I was currently taking, uh, we found out very quickly put me at a toxic level and I should have been dead. Uh, my father found that out, I didn't. So uh, he had to get me away from that psychiatrist and then in the hands of someone else. By the time I got to, let's and just, just call this. Step, and, and this is yeah. just an important point for everybody right here. <laughs> yeah. It is so easy just to look up which drugs are contraindicated and things. And it's bizarre to me that someone who has the authority to prescribe the drug wouldn't take the time to note the right. other things you were on or the levels or anything. It's, um, I don't know, I that to me just blows my mind. I just had to yeah, insert that, that right there. Probably well said. <laughs> Whoa. Um, so so by the time I've, I've moved on to my next psychiatrist, um, they were able to filter out some of the things that I was on. But what was uh, essentially happening was I was starting to have all of these unusual side effects, whether it be stomach aches or headaches or not sleeping or whatever the case was. So rather than take things away, things continue to add in. So I want to say at one point in time, um, if memory serves, I was probably taking seven medications a day um, at you know 20 years of age, trying to function, heading into my junior uh, year of college. And I couldn't function. I was just basically a walking zombie. I just couldn't, you know, I was a mess. Well, and sure. And, and because here you are now, now you're on the medications, you have side effects from the medications, which are clearly stated if you look up each of these drugs. Sure. And then now that you're just having the, the side effects from the medications, they're giving you things for the side effects. Correct. So we're never getting to the root here. We're just dealing with the, you know, the symptoms. Correct. Correct. Okay. Um, so at this point, I, I was, I, you know, I, I got myself mixed in with the wrong or right friends, depending on your perspective. And that's where it's like, well, I'm already on all of these pharmaceutical drugs. Mm -hmm. We might as well start getting high too, because, you know, what the hell do you have to lose? And so that's where the street drugs started to become more of a thing was um, at the point where I'm not really functioning so well in school. I'm on the verge of dropping out because I can't really focus on my classes. Um, I'm, you know, getting this whole medication thing sorted out, but I'm also right in the throes of street drugs. Um, and, you know, I, I say this somewhat conservatively, it started off for me as with marijuana, and then it phased into the hallucinogens and ecstasy and then all the hard stuff after that. But um, that is when the, the street drugs started and, and would not stop for the next uh, 10 years, even wow. though still found the psychiatrist at the tail end of that year, who's, who was the one that said, um, we need to get you off of these medications. Okay, so I, I just, I, I, I'm trying to be in the minds of my listeners, and I know I'm curious, and I'm sure they are too. Yeah. How the heck did you function just being on all those medications and on the street drugs too? I mean, what were you like physically just going mm. through your day? Do you remember? Um, yeah, and, and oddly enough, it's, yeah, and I think, um, 
and again, I, I hope that my memory doesn't betray me by saying this, but ha having worked with other clients, as I'm sure you have, that go on a medication to stabilize their moods, let's say they're manic, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things, one of the like, bits of feedback that I get even now from, from clients um, that I see for weight loss or for you know, strength or whatever it is, um, is that they tend to be in sort of this indifferent haze mm -hmm. where it's like they're not high and they're not low, they're just sort of in the middle but it's just sort of this, sort of the blahs, you know what I mean? And so for me, that's kind of what it was. It was the blahs. And I thought, you know, okay, it's, I wasn't functioning from the viewpoint of uh, I can handle school because I couldn't, but I was able to hold down a job, you know, because once I dropped out of school, which is what I had to do in 1996, um, I had to drop out of school because I was not able to function or focus on the classes. And um, my father wasn't going to continue to spend money uh, on that if I couldn't, you know, do what was required of me. And uh, and then, you know, when the drug started, it it started just essentially for fun on the weekends, and then it became something that was far more pervasive than that over time. Um, but I'd say initially, it was just more important that I get off of those medications. And my the the psychiatrist who uh, was of the mindset that I didn't need to be on them knew that I was taking the street drugs. Um, and obviously wasn't encouraging it, but also knew that at that point in time, um, there probably wasn't going to be much that he could say that was going to stop it uh, because I was just, I, I was lost at that point. So, right. Okay. So then the, this, this psychi psychiatrist that you were working with slowly got you off the meds and kind of let the street drugs go, but you're still getting off the meds at the time. Did you feel a difference? Let's just go with the physical here. Mm -hmm. Did you feel a difference? at least in getting off some of those medications? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely felt, I felt better in a relative sense, but I'm still, you know, and, and this kind of comes back to my gosh, even things that you and I discussed on our episode on my show mm -hmm. is that, you know, when you're not getting down to the root problem, and at that point in time, I'm not even really making much of a correlation anymore to the fact that I was sexually abused. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, I'm not happy. Um, I have no self-worth. Um, the girls that I want to date, because at that time, all I cared about was music and girls, well, mm -hmm. and drugs, um, it, that, you know, life's not going the way that I want. So it must just be because I'm just not worthy of, you know, good things. And you tell yourself that story, regardless of how untrue it actually is, it, you know, you know, just as well as I do, once we start that, that domino effect, it goes nowhere good. Um, and it's hard to get yourself out, out of that. Um, so yeah. Yes. Okay. So now here you are, you're getting, you're getting off the drugs, the, the meds, you're still on the drugs. What happened after that? When did the mm -hmm. clarity kick in or was there that, oh. that dark night of the soul or what, what happened? Cause yeah. there's always something. There, there's always something. So, so yeah, it's, um, let's see. So, okay. So I get off the medications. Um, I, I thought, you know, after spending some time just working and being in a band and doing my drug thing, because I thought that I could make it all work. I thought, okay, maybe maybe I'm of the mind now that I can go back to school. Um, so I was hospitalized one last time in 1996. That's where I met the new psychiatrist. Got off the medications through 97. I'm on. I'm in therapy, just trying to kind of sort through things. And in uh, uh, tail end of 97, I decided, okay, I'm going to go back to school. And I I went right back to Tennessee, but to a different college. And it was like, I just got right in with the party crowd. As soon as I got to school, I didn't make it one semester. I was just, I was pumped full of drugs, as many drugs as I could put in my system. I ended up back in the hospital, um, but this time with a slightly different uh, twist to it. This time, um, 
again, there was another suicidal threat and um, I was put into a facility that uh, was basically both for uh, individuals with um, you know, em emotional trouble uh, and also with a chemical dependency. Uh, so I was basically in rehab uh, for about two weeks. And so that's where I started to kind of see things from a slightly different perspective. Um, I was on a floor at the time where all of the men were recovering alcoholics and all of the women were recovering crackheads. Um, so that was very eye-opening for me. What um, was that like just to even be there? Uh, it was it was weird because at the time I'm still so much in denial that I actually have a drug problem. It's just the drugs, the drugs were a daily thing. I didn't think that the drugs were something that were uh, taking over my life, you know, something that I felt, you know, out of control with, although I was, you know, I was out of control. Um, I just didn't want to, didn't want to look at it that way. And I, you know, Jason, what's so inter interesting about what you're saying is, and I always say this, when the pain of where you are becomes greater than the fear of the unknown, that's when we jump. And it sounds like you were, you were almost subconsciously getting yourself to a point that was so bad that, that whatever would have been different would be welcomed, but you just kept gravitating to what was familiar. Like when you went back to school, of course it's natural to go with that drug crowd because it's what you know so well, right? So, right. okay, so now here you are, you're in you're in rehab and you're, you're not uh, feeling like you belong there, right? And right. then take us to what happened next. Yeah, so, um, so again, I had to drop out of school because I, my mind was not right. And I'm back in Ohio again with my parents and, and it's like, okay, well, if this school thing's not gonna work, then I need to have a full-time job. Um, and I need to just you know, see, see where life leads. And so uh, for many years, that, that's what I did. I just, I worked and I had my band and, and those were the things that were important. And of course I found a way to fit the drugs in. Um, and during that time is when I met uh, the woman who would uh, be the, become the mother of my, my oldest son, um, Jackson. And, you know, it was just, it was kind of one of those things where she found her way out of that partying lifestyle and I didn't. And, uh, and so it would still take several more years before it was like, okay, I, I need to stop because things were starting to go again, wrong in my life, but it was wrong. Um, make sure I say this right wrong by my own hand, not just, oh, bad things happened to me. The bad things that were happening were happening because I you know, was not in control of the things that I should have been in control of. So you were making the connection between, okay, these are my choices. I can't yes. blame it on anything else other than me. All yes. right. And that's a tremendous, that takes a tremendous amount of, of clarity and insight right there. And, and there's sort of that, that like first crack into, you know, the opening of, of what could be next. So you took that idea and said, okay, this is my doing. And what, what happened with that? What'd you do with that? Yeah. So I had reached a point where um, by then, even though I was working full time and all that stuff, I, uh, my, my drug habit had become so involved that I, could no longer afford it with my own paycheck. So I was dealing to be able to support my habit. And the job that I was working in at the time was very stressful. It was, uh, it was you know, some time before I decided I wanted to open up a fitness facility because God knows that would have been a terrible idea at the time. Um, but I, I got to the point where I literally, from the time that I woke up until the time I went to bed, I was high. Um, it was just all gonna be a matter of what I was high on. Um, and then the weekends would be exponentially more so. Uh, but, but even in the work days, it was like, wow, it's, why do I need drugs to get through my entire day? I'm not sure, but I'm going to keep doing it because, because why not? Um, but it got to the point where I was doing drugs in isolation. None, nobody else around me was doing them. So I was doing them by myself, which is not very fun. And the big, 
you know, sort of uh, a moving moment for me. My, my rock bottom happened sort of like this. The house that I, that I bought, um, I bought it right after I started my, my job, which at the time was the best paying job I'd ever had in my life. But I hadn't been there very long, so I didn't have the credit history to buy a house on my own. So my father co-signed on the house with me. And as I mentioned, my, my drug habit was getting so bad that I you know, needed to find other ways to, to you know, provide for it. So I always had money for drugs, but I never had money to pay my mortgage, for instance. Mm-hmm. And with my father on, my, on the credit record and those uh, payments not being made, uh, my father worked for a big corporation at the time and they were switching over the credit cards you know, from one kind to another. Mm-hmm. And when they did the switch, they checked his credit record and it had tanked uh, because of me. And so when my father calls me to say, why are you not paying your mortgage? Uh, again, here we are back to that, you know, do, do you do good or do you do bad? You know, do you, do you confess the truth? That kind of thing. Uh, I, I obviously couldn't run from that. And I thought, oh my God, I have gotten so bad with this problem that it's now affected my father and my father's, you know, credit record. I need to stop. And so it wasn't like an immediate, the, the switch flipped, but it, it happened very shortly thereafter. I was like, okay, when I look at my actual income, there is enough money to pay all my bills, but obviously that, those were not my priorities at the time. So I stopped. And so for me, it was cold turkey. It was just, okay, you've done, you've done 10 years worth of damage to yourself and everyone around you, including your father and his credit record and all that stuff. Um, now is the time to basically get your head out of your backside and, and do something different. So that was in 2006. Wow. It sounds like that, that cold water moment, you know, it's like the cold water <laughs> splash on you. It's like, what the heck have I been doing? And there's something about being confronted like that it, because you were just getting away with it all that time and running from, you know, running from yourself, running from your truth, running from what was in your best interest. So it took your dad to, to sort of, you know, knock some sense into you. And then, okay, yeah. so what happened after that? Well, so, uh, you know, by then, uh, you know, I, I got clean and, uh, and ended up marrying the woman who, you know, I had my son with. And, you know, one of the unfortunate things is by the time I got clean and the damage that my own situation had done to those around me, it was almost like, you know, she and I were no longer the same people uh, because she had only ever known me as a drug addict. And so now that I'm clean, I'm just different. And you start to see where people essentially grow apart. And, you know, you're, you're married and you know how certain things go in your relationship over time where it's like, wow, um, some problems don't go away when you get married. And so you start to grandfather those things in and they become the things that get swept under the rug. And, uh, you know, I think everyone knows what that's like when you finally lift up the rug and go, oh, there's that mess I made. Um, and so uh, it, it basically it created a lot of problems for us. So even though I was clean, I was no longer in a functional relationship. Um, in the background, something that had been happening, um, since early when I had started doing drugs was I fell into fitness and it was just because I've always been a small guy. And here I was a small guy doing a boatload of drugs. And I thought, wow, I really look like garbage. Um, maybe I need to lift some weights and do something productive for myself. And of course the productive thing at the time would have never been stop doing drugs. It was, let's just lift weights and do drugs because Mm. surely that's a better option. Um, but you know, you, you do it in stages. So for me, it was, I started lifting weights and then I started eating a little bit better and then, oh, wow, why don't we finally get clean? And so you can actually take care of your body the way that you should. And so that's how those pieces sort of fell into place with fitness and how it started to transition into what I do today. 
but um, you know, the drugs and everything that came with it did damage to, uh, to that relationship, to that marriage. And so that marriage ended. And um, uh, we have a beautiful boy named Jackson from that marriage. So, you know, there's the, there's the silver lining to it. Um, but, you know, it's some things happened in my life that made it possible for me to open a business of my own. And as fitness was something that I was starting to develop a passion for, um, I didn't know weight loss as a person who had lost, say, 60 pounds and transformed his life. But I knew lifestyle change from the perspective of somebody who's been in some really dark places and I was able to get through it. And so that's always the way that I've sort of framed up the mission of the business is um, I can help you because I know what it's like to be in a deep, dark place and maybe we're not so different. And so that becomes like sort of the, the level ground that we approach all of our clients with. Yeah, absolutely. And what's so wonderful about it is look at the, the, the positive choices you started making. And one thing always leads to the next, the next, the next. And now here you are leading this clean, healthy life and just really, truly having that story of, I've been down that dark road and this is what it looks like. And this is what clean and healthy looks like. Jason, what do you want to make sure everyone knows as we wrap up? Uh, sure. So um, I, I guess if anything, you know, I'll kind of do this in, in chunks, but you know, if you are in the position where you feel like you need the help of a medical professional, um, don't stop until you find the right one. Um, that's exponentially important. Um, you may need medication. That may be your, your lot in life, and that could be a, a permanent thing, and it could be a temporary thing. And, and also, uh, and only because we didn't really touch on it too much in this conversation, but I don't want to leave it hanging, um, just because you solve certain problems in your life doesn't mean that they're all solved. Um, and so for the last year, um, I've been back in therapy, not on medication, but just back in therapy, because here we are, I'm nearly 45 years of age, and I'm still dealing with effects of, oh yes, this is what happens when you were abused as a child. Um, so that even though things can be great in a lot of ways, things can feel sort of broken in a lot of other ways. And so I'm very thankful that I've found a good um, therapist to kind of share my thoughts with and be a sounding board and sort of help me through this next stage of life so that I can be uh, the best I can be for my wife and for my boys and for my clients. Oh, wonderful. And there you have it, everybody. I mean, the story of, of been there, done that, live to tell. So Jason, where do we go to learn more about you? Sure. So uh, you can start with um, probably my blog, which is jasonleanarts.com. So if you're able to spell the name um, under that spelling, I think I'm the only Jason Leanarts on the planet. Um, but that's where I share probably some, some more of my, uh, of my thoughts about life and work with clients and all that other stuff. It's also where you can access the podcast um, and find out more about what we do here at Revolution Fitness and Therapy in good old Stowe, Ohio. So I think that would be the place to start. Oh, that's wonderful. And and uh, Jason's podcast is wonderful, everybody. I encourage you all to take a listen. Jason, thank you so much. I, I know there were so many people here who uh, they're listening to this and whether it's for themselves, their children, someone they love, uh, there's so much hope and, and wisdom in what you shared. So I, I totally and completely appreciate you coming on and sharing today. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I love Jason's story because it's such an inspirational story about overcoming. Overcoming the shame and sense of unworthiness from sexual trauma, overcoming addiction, and overcoming negative beliefs like, I did good and got punished, so being good is bad. Stay in touch with Jason by going to jasonleanarts.com and we'll have all of his information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. Anything is possible.
We often hear about how unfortunate someone's trauma is, but the more I do this podcast and run the Post-Betrayal Transformation Institute, the more I see every day that anything is possible. We overcome the odds when we're fiercely determined to do so, along with having the right support around us and a unique combination of strategies that works well for us. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean the healing will be linear, but with dedication, persistence, and grit, you'll get there. Speaking of strategies, first, see what you're working with. So if you haven't already, be sure to take the post-betrayal syndrome quiz, which you can find at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. And have you checked out the PBT Institute membership community? Imagine everything you'd ever need to become your physical, mental, emotional best community, support, certified coaches and practitioners you could schedule time with, daily classes on all kinds of interesting topics, curated experts teaching advanced strategies in the areas of health, mindset, spirituality, personal development. Imagine the most friendly, welcoming, and supportive place to become your best all online. There is nothing like this that exists, and I am so excited to welcome you. Just go to thepbtinstitute.com forward slash join to learn more. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time, and here's to your breakthrough.